0: Small print of the gospel. This is not some hidden message in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to Him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and He turns to you and me and He asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives Are you a fan or a follower?
1: That's the question that we're asking in this new series here at Victory. If you're a first-time guest today, thank you for being with us. Uh, We hope you'll come back again. Today, uh, I'm in number two of this series. and My name is Michael Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory, and it's an honor to have each and every one of you with us. And as we jump into this today, I just want to ask you a question. Everybody's seen those commercials on TV where you've got a fast-talking car salesman, You've got all the stuff lined up out there, the latest models. Maybe you've got some nice previously owned vehicles that have been reconditioned and refurbished, and they are spit-shined. And you've got the guy that's out there just barking at everyone, trying to draw a crowd, or he's on TV, he's giving us a commercial, and he's basically saying, anyone can buy a car at this car dealership. And by the time you finish the commercial, there's a little bitty, bitty, tiny, fine print down at the bottom that no human even with the aid of an electron microscope, can read that print. It's so fine, and if you were to actually freeze frame that commercial and stop it and magnify it a couple hundred thousand times to where the normal human eye could read it, it would actually say that it's really not anyone can buy a car at this dealership, only those who pass the credit check. And so we have this kind of marketing that hits us on a regular basis, and you hear anyone, and you really probably say, okay, yeah, but there's a catch You know, We've all been the victims of these various commercials by our cellular carriers that tell you, come on in, we've got these free minutes and a great benefits package, and you go in the store, whether it's AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, whatever it is, and you get in there and you find out that it's really not anyone, it's just a select group of customers, and you just don't happen to be in that group. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've experienced that before. And so it's into this same kind of a situation. Jesus tells us, if anyone, this is our text in our message series in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's written in red in your Bibles. It's right there in verse in front of you, recorded. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Pray with me. God, we ask you today that you would move in this time together, that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts to show us the power that is in your word and the invitation that's extended to anyone. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. Number one, right out of the chute, Jesus makes an invitation to a group of potential followers, and he says, if anyone. And so I just want to say today, point number one, right out of the The shoot and the race we're running this morning, it is anyone is welcome. Say that with me, please. Anyone is welcome. And so you immediately, after having a jaded kind of over-marketed perspective on life, you've been lured into too many of these things, and immediately you want to go, yeah, right, so what's the catch? So I just want to say to you this morning... Uh, you know that there is no small print, there are no hidden agendas, there's no fast talking salesman. there are no trick programs, no select groups that you have to be a part of It's laid out in verse and it's open to anyone right here for you to read. Jesus said when he said anyone, I believe that the crowds who heard him knew what he meant, and to understand that, I think it's important that we sort of take an examination of the culture in which Jesus was speaking. He was recognized as a rabbi. A rabbi was a special teacher, a teacher of God's Word. It was someone who had a very specific level, an expertise level of understanding, particularly of the Torah, which were the first five books of the Bible. And he had a a working knowledge of the prophetic writings, the law, the Psalms. The prophets. And the thing about rabbis was they were very specially elevated in the in the community. Uh, In this Hebrew culture, they were sort of lifted above a lot of the rest uh, of the people in terms of their professions. They were highly revered, and rabbis were special in the sense that they had a group of disciples or followers that came after them that were called Talmud. Not to be confused with the Talmud, which is the commentary. On the Old Testament, we we say as Christians, the Old Testament. That was the only Testament they had. That was the covenant with God and Israel. And so, the group of followers that come along behind a rabbi and do what he does and learns to speak what he speaks, basically, uh, are, are this select group. They're they're called Talmud, and they are very very exclusive, elitist uh, students. There's a huge vetting process that you go through to be a part of uh, the following of, of a particular rabbi. It's uh, it's not something that everybody can get into. Most people wanted to be a part of it, but they had to, uh, you know, just sort of settle for second best and become tradesmen or fishermen, stonemasons, or maybe even tax collectors. And so this position is very high in society and people are, are looking and observing and revering and honoring what these various rabbis that are experts in the law and the Psalms and the prophets in terms of God's Word. Uh, it's, it's, it's really no different than today if you want to become part of or get into a great college program at a, at a special academy or let's say you want to go to Harvard. You want to go to America's might be argued as America's number one university. For sure, one of those Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, or maybe head out to the west coast of Stanford, you're talking about in the very, 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 very top of the top of America's universities. So you want to get in one of those, then you better have a 4.0 GPA. You better have at least a 32 or higher on your ACT score. And you need uh, maybe a 1600 or above on your SAT. So we're talking about it's the elite of the elite. And it's not unlike this with the people who are going to follow these exclusive rabbis. And they were very careful about picking excellent students. Because if a student had excellent, I'm sorry, if a rabbi had excellent students following him, then it spoke to the excellence of the rabbi himself. He took pride in the ones that he allowed in to be his followers, his Talmud, his disciples. So, huge vetting process in this. Uh, you would be asked to quote an entire book of the Bible. We're not talking about a memory verse or a bread box promise, but we're talking about reciting a whole book, all the verbs in the right tense, all the pronouns agreeing, the locations, the numbers, the statistics that we sometimes just skim over when we're doing a Bible read-through. You had to know all those things. Maybe you might be asked how many times the name of the Lord appeared in Leviticus chapter 11. And so there's, there's a degree of expertise that you already have to have before you're even allowed to come along and follow an exclusive rabbi and become one of his Talmud. And so a lot of people obviously are disappointed. They don't get accepted. They get the rejection letter in the mail from the academy from the great program they want to be a part of the the rabbi basically sends them communication that says i'm sorry you didn't make the cut it's into this whole cultural milieu into this whole way of looking at things, the overall mentality in which these people live, the reverencing of the law of God, the high position of authority that a rabbi would have, and the fact that every one of them are exclusive about the people that they choose, that Jesus is known as a rabbi, he's known as a great teacher, he has people that are following him coming in crowds, and he's not just teaching profound philosophical, uh, philosophical ideas. But he's also doing some things that, that that show a level of authority that the other teachers of the law didn't have he was opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears and raising dead people and preaching the gospel to the poor and setting uh, captives free and bringing liberty to the sons of Israel and so his 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 excellence as a rabbi was being noised abroad it was being shouted from the ha- the housetops and in addition to that he would also throw a pretty good feed once in a while. Took a little boy's lunch. Five loaves, two fish, and has fish and chips day. And 5,000 men were fed in the day when they didn't count women and children. So it's probably about 20,000 people. And these kinds of things are just everyday occurrences with Jesus. And everywhere he goes, there's a crowd. And people are wanting to follow him. And he gets up one day and he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, anyone, and the crowd is going, what do you mean anyone? Because he literally turned this system upside down on its head. Jesus changed the system. It's no longer this place of high exclusivity, but he's basically saying, whoever would, if you you will come, just do this one thing. Take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself, become one of my mead, one of my disciples, one of my students, and follow me. The whole series is about distinguishing between people who are fans and people who are truly committed, completely devoted followers. And so Jesus changes the system. He turns the whole thing up on its head, and he actually does that by inviting a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Watch this little short vignette with me, please, this morning. Can we start it again and get some sound? For the
0: religious elite or for the mor- When Jesus said to Matthew, "Follow me," he was making it clear that his invitation to follow is not just for the religious elite or for the morally upright, for those who have their lives together. His invitation is for all of us who are hiding some stains. Jesus said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Anyone. Anyone is a pretty inclusive word. Anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone who's ever thought to themselves, I've gone too far, my stain is too big. Anyone who's ever laid awake at night and said, I can't believe what I've done. Anyone who's ever looked in the mirror and said to themselves, I can't believe what I've become, anyone can follow.
1: So the word begins to spread. Jesus, this amazing rabbi, who is doing feats that nobody who's ever come before him has been able to accomplish, except maybe a couple of prophets who've had some great miracles and their ministries. He's picking random followers. He says anyone, and he really means anyone. Just look at this crowd of dudes that are around him. They're a bunch of nobodies. Those two used to be fishermen, and those two are a couple political hotheads. And that guy, that guy right there, Matthew, is a tax collector. Let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew's name originally was Levi. Sounds like the Levitical priesthood, doesn't it? Matthew had hopes in his family. He came from a priestly order and a family that had great aspirations for him to become a rabbi. And Matthew came from a family that had a little bit of money, and so basically the dad was trying to get some education for Matthew, a.k.a. Levi. Levi gets turned down from a couple of rabbis because he doesn't make the cut. He doesn't know the level of expertise to even begin as a foundational student, as a fundamental student to begin under several rabbis, and he experiences the pain of a rejection letter and then another one. And finally, just giving up, the dad who has some money purchases from the Roman Empire a business position for Levi, who becomes Matthew. This young man whose family had hoped for him to become a great teacher in Israel, they basically just said, okay, well, we're going to go for plan B. And the Roman Empire at that time under Augustus Caesar had set up a particular means by which the empire could be supported. The Roman roads were being built, and we're going to have to pay for them some way, and so we're going to have to excise taxes from the people. And the Roman Empire actually sells to businessmen who have a good amount of money to begin with the opportunity to control the tax collection over a whole region. And so a businessman goes and buys, and Matthew's dad did this for him and made him a tax farmer in The Roman Empire. And the thing that was so hated among the Hebrews, among the Jews, was that these were their own people who had enough money in their pocket to buy a position to be able to demand tax payments from their fellow Jews, from their fellow Hebrew brothers and sisters. And the privilege that the Roman government gave them was that their word was so. And the Roman centurions, the authorities in these various outposts around the whole Mediterranean, the known world, the whole Bible world, the whole reach of the Roman Empire, had given these guys the power to basically say, in addition to what the Roman Empire demands, you can add your portion too, and the people have to pay it. If they don't, you have the power to throw them in jail. And so the Jewish people knew that. It was happening all over the Roman Empire. They, they did a smart thing by choosing indigenous natives. In Israel, they chose Israelites. In Phoenicia, they chose Phoenicians. In Rome, they chose Romans. In the Byzantine area that will later come about during the Roman Empire, they're going to be choosing Turks. So we're in Israel, and we have Jews that have been powered, have been empowered because they had enough money to buy this position as a tax farmer, and I, I go to Rebecca and I say, Rebecca, you owe the Roman Empire five dollars, or she knows that she owes five, but I exact from her eight, and she's frustrated because coming up with eight dollars is outrageous in her standard of living. So the Jews hated the tax collectors; they were a despised lot throughout society, underneath the government of the Roman Empire. They're like IRS agents gone wild, run amok. And they basically have final say. There is no higher court to which one can appeal and demand equity or equality or justice because the tax farmer has bought the right to pronounce judgment. If you don't pay, you go to jail. So Matthew has already experienced the outrageous disappointment of a family that had high hopes for him and he wasn't able to deliver. And now he's receiving all of the hatred from his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And he's one of the 12 that Jesus points to and says, come follow me. Wow. When Jesus said anyone, he really meant anyone. So this morning, I want you to move with me to my second point. Realized slowly that surely he meant it, anyone could come and follow. The crowds truly began to understand when Jesus said anyone is welcome and that anyone means everyone. Say that with me. Anyone means everyone. Now, you know what? When we start to recognize this, it means that we're each going to have to deal with our preferences. Whether we would actually ever admit it or not, there's something I know on the inside of us that would say, you know, uh, we say that church is for anyone, but we're really not too sure that I just want anyone to come up in this place and worship with me. You know, we like things the way they are, don't we? And it's too easy, if we're honest, we like for things to stay the same. And sooner or later, same becomes the standard. And then before we know it, the standard becomes a qualification. Jesus knew how things would go, and so he writes this in verse and in scriptured authority for us. And he says, if anyone would come after me, say it again, anyone. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Jesus reminds us that there shouldn't be any qualifications. Jesus did away with the qualifications to follow. You know, we have a long list of prerequisites. There's a standard application process. The church should do away with all of these qualifications. And if we do that, that means that every one of us are going to have to deal with our preferences and it means that we're going to expose some unwritten codes. We don't have it written on a piece of paper. It's not framed on the wall. But there is an unwritten code in probably the vast majority of churches in America. There's an unwritten dress code. There's The last few decades, there's been an unwritten political code too. If you're really a Christian, you have to vote with a certain political party or a certain idea, uphold a particular political ideology. If you don't, then you're not really a Christian. All kinds of things are added to our unwritten codes, whether or not you should or shouldn't consume alcohol, whether or not you should or shouldn't listen to a particular style of music, what your income is, do you have a social agenda, if you do, what is it, what is your church denomination, and the list begins to stack up very, very quickly. All the while, the church is putting out a sign that says, anyone is welcome. But in many places, we don't believe that anyone means everyone. And I just want to say to you that we've been laboring with this whole idea for about three years, and we made some dramatic changes about three and a half years ago. And we lost a few families because we did. When I made the decision to stop dressing like a pastor's supposed to dress, by the way, there is nowhere in the Bible where it says what that looks like. Some of you are here today, and you're going, you know what, the music was good, and this guy's pretty clear and delivering some ideas, but he's up there in jeans and those ridiculous looking tennis shoes. And somebody says, why do you do that, Pastor? And I just want to tell you because it offends the right people. And let me just tell you, we cut it straight. I read a statistic a few years ago about that time that said one in four men in America actually own a suit. And I started thinking, wow, if 25% of the population of men own a suit, and I, by my example, show to the people that this is how I look as a leader, as a Christian man, as a pastor of a church, and that I expect you to uphold this, quote, unwritten code when you come in here, that if I'm setting that as some kind of unwritten qualification for you to come in here and be welcome and feel comfortable at victory, then I've just eliminated 75% of the population. And I want to tell you, I don't want to offend you when I say this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I bet you that statistic is not that high in Crittenden County. I bet you that it's not as high as one in four. That it's probably more like one in five or one in six men in Crittenden County who own a suit. And so I made a decision. You know what? I'm going to offend the religious people who think that church is supposed to be done this way and they like it to stay the same. And don't challenge me with anything outside of this particular box. And let me keep this idea that I need to be a card-carrying member of this particular party. And, and, you know, keep it all looking the same. Everybody from the same neighborhood driving the same car, same socioeconomic status, same level of income. We all look the same. Skin color's the same. We like the same things. Our kids are going to the same schools. And don't challenge that. And to the middle of all of that nonsense, Jesus says, anyone can come. Jesus didn't just get rid of qualifications when he said anyone, he said something else. He says, I'm not only going to get rid of the qualifications, but I'm going to get rid of your excuses. Because too many times people have hidden behind various excuses to keep them from coming to a place of a real growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, my third point is this. No qualifications means no excuses. Say that with me. No qualifications means no excuses. Jesus just keeps breaking down the barriers that keep people from learning about God. And he's pulling all of this stuff down and everything that we've built up and all of our wrong ideas and unwritten codes and all of our religiosity and our hypocritical notions and our pharisaical legalistic ideas about what we think pleases God. God. What we think honors God. And he says, beyond getting rid of the qualifications, I'm going to remove your excuses because people hide behind excuses and Jesus eliminates them completely. Now, a tradesman no longer has to say, I never had the chance to follow a rabbi. Now, the dropout student who was a disappointment to the expectations of his parents can no longer complain about his past anymore and the pain of the rejection letters that he got from the academy. Now, a mother of four can't say that she never got the chance to learn from a great teacher because Jesus says anyone is welcome and anyone means everyone and no qualifications now mean no excuses. Other people say, you know what? You just don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing these days. And so today I would just pose this very simple question to everyone in this room. What are your excuses? What is yours? Pastor, I'm too busy. You just don't have any idea. I've just recently made a commitment to spend the, the amount of time that I need to repair a marriage that I discovered was broken. My children have dealt with a father that's been an absentee for too long and I realized that I need to be spending some time with the kids and I just don't have time to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Pastor, you just don't recognize how hard our financial situation is and the economic times are so tough and I don't have time to pursue a relationship with Jesus because I've just gotten my second job and I'm having to work just to make sure that we make ends meet. You know what? Our excuses can multiply over and over and over. And let me just say, it's so, t- so easy to hide behind those. And nobody in this room would ever argue with a person who's just come through a tragedy. Or you still bear the emotional scars of a circumstance from the past, a bad relationship that got worse, maybe a church experience that you just about can't describe because of someone that hurt you and you were broken deeply because you trusted in a leader, a pastor maybe even, that that just did the unspeakable. It happens. And we have to deal with the fallout, the problems that people have in response to it, and even in the middle of all of that, let me just tell you, I've been there, I've been hurt, I've been wounded because I trusted people and then have been betrayed. And at every place in my life, at every juncture, I had to basically back up and say, God, I make a choice to love and to trust and to forgive. And I made the choice to say, Jesus, wipe the slate clean of every excuse that I can possibly put up that would be a hindrance between me and you and even letting myself trust other believers. Because we have this ability, an uncanny ability to hurt and offend each other. In the middle of all that, Jesus wipes away all of our excuses. And I say to you again, anyone is welcome to have a relationship with Jesus. Anyone. But pastor, you just don't know not only my past, but what I'm struggling with right now this morning. Can someone who has a sexual past have a relationship with Jesus? Anyone. What about an ex-con, preacher? Anyone. Well, I'm an inmate. Anyone. What about the recently divorced? Jesus says, say it with me, come on. Anyone. The legalist. The one who's wrestling with a kind of hyper, holier-than-thou self-righteousness. Even to him or to her, Jesus says, anyone. What about the alcoholic? Pastor, you just don't know what I have done. And when I drink, I become a different man and I've wounded my family and I've hurt my children. And to you, sir, to you, ma'am, I would say, Jesus said, anyone. What about a pothead? Jesus says, anyone. What about an addict? Help me, saints. Come on. Jesus said, anyone. It would scare some of you to know how many people in this room could have been labeled by any one of those things. And they've not let that define them, but they've come to Jesus and he's changed their lives. Somebody give God some praise. Come on. Well, pastor, you just don't know how deep my facade is. I know in my heart of hearts that I'm a hypocrite. Even to you, Jesus says, anyone. You know, if we do that, folks, we have to truly prepare ourselves and to get ready for what will happen. Do we really mean anyone? If we say anyone, what is the possibility of the things that will happen? It's going to get messy in this place when all these unchurched people show up and they bring all of their problems and their baggage and everything that comes out of the past. Because when they come through the door, they bring all the stuff with them and all their junk. And I just want to say to you that it means that we're going to have to deal with our unwritten codes. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to be seeing people with different backgrounds and social circles and skin colors and, oh my goodness, different music collections on their iPods and different kinds of recreational activities than us. People that show up whose wardrobes confuse us, yea, even annoy us. People who are hard to tolerate and even harder to love. Don't anybody shout me down. Let me just tell you right now, followers of Jesus are willing to break down walls and to trash unwritten codes and to welcome anyone into God's family right alongside Jesus. Wait, 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 just a minute, preacher. Wait. I just I just I just can't I can't swallow this. We can't invite people show up and then invite them into God's family and and then them come along and then then tolerate anything that they want. That's not biblical, preacher, and I just want to say to you that's exactly right. It's not biblical. We're not talking about tolerating or condoning anything that the word of God is clear about. And I believe that it's right for us. You are right. It's not biblical. I believe that it's right for us to make sure that when we send out a a call to people, that they understand what the gospel involves, that Jesus loves them just the way they are, but he loves them too much to leave them the way they are, and that they need to understand what the, the commandments of the word of God involve and what they pertain to. Jesus makes the invitation. He says, anyone Some who respond in lifestyles that you would be embarrassed to hear about. Some people will respond, will have a past that you don't approve of. Fans don't know how to handle people like that. Fans are basically don't ask, don't tell, just keep it shallow Let's just keep it in a comfortable place. I don't really want to know. Let me just tell you right now who a fan is. A fan is the person who meets you on the street and says, hey, how you doing? And fully expects you to look at them and say, great. And whether it's the truth or not, don't want you to tell them what's going on in your life. Now, come on, don't even look at me like that in that tone of voice. You know as well as I do, half the people you meet and you say, hey, how are you? You don't want them to stop and tell you how they really are. Now, do you? Now, our close friends, another story. Fans don't want to know, don't want to take time, not going to dig down into the nitty-gritty, not going to get their hands dirty, something where they're going to be up to their elbows in mess, in stuff, in baggage, in junk, in issues in people's lives. Too many ducks out of a row, too many leaves to turn over. There ain't no way, man. It's falling, the leaves are falling down all over the place. What are you talking about? (laughs) No turning over a new leaf with this person. Fans prefer to keep things shallow and very comfortable. But followers, listen to me this morning. I'm, I'm almost ready to close this thing. Followers are willing to listen, to hear about, to hear about the brokenness in your life and what happened to you and are willing to get down into the sin-ravaged areas of your heart and love you in spite of it and let the gospel do its work and be patient while it is. Somebody say Amen. Followers will welcome people with open arms. And that's what I want us to be in terms of where we're headed with this church. The last point is crucial to making sure that we help all, both brand new Christians and longtime believers, move into a completely committed, devoted relationship with Jesus. Greg, I've picked you to be One of my Talmud. Clayton, I want you to be a part two. Jim. Okay, now I've got some new students that have just agreed to come alongside me as a rabbi. Now I need to coach them quietly for about 15 seconds. Okay, so I'm a rabbi, and these guys have decided to come along and follow. They've passed muster. And you can see by this that anybody can be in it. (laughs) But let me just tell you what happens when you decide to follow a rabbi. You're going to follow Jesus. It's going to cost you everything. Say that with me. It's anyone. It's anyone. But it's everything. And so when a follower decides to latch on to a rabbi and the rabbi decides to go to the market, they're going to head over there and they're going to do what the rabbi does. You guys are some slow followers. (laughs) So we're headed to the market and we're examining some of the stuff and we're talking to the people and we're entering, entering into a communication exchange and everybody's getting involved. And So when the rabbi goes to the market, they're following the rabbi. They're doing what the rabbi does. Okay. The scripture clearly says that the student, when he finishes learning from the teacher, he will be like his teacher. So he imitates the teacher. He follows the teacher. He learns the instructions of the teacher. The teacher decides to take his students... Got a couple of clowns in the bunch. The teacher decides to take his students to the hospital, and he's going to lay hands on the sick. And guess what? Every one of the students start to learn to do the same thing, and they pray for the sick. And guess what? The ability now to communicate that blessing of God is now in those students as well. Okay, so he decides he's going to go and visit some other folks, and they go with him. But you know what? Beyond that, he decides he's going to go do what Jesus does. Jesus goes and hangs out with all the sinner-shameful folks. Now, this is my own family up here, so I can get away with that. I didn't come do that to anybody else. And if I get it, I'll get it later. It won't be right now. (laughs) But guess what happens? When... Jesus starts hanging out at the party. That's it, guys. You're doing good. When Jesus embraces someone with open arms, when Jesus kneels down in the dirt and he writes in the sand because a bunch of pharisaical dudes come accusing a poor woman who was caught in adultery, and he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he embraces a woman who is at the lowest rung of society and he throws his arms around her and loves her, guess what they have to do? They have to model that. And that means they willingly lay down their reputation. They go where Jesus goes. Let me ask you a question this morning. Good followers, guys. You can be seated. If Jesus walked into West Memphis... In his flesh and blood body this morning, where do you think he would be? I think he would honor the commandment of God to remember a Sabbath, a holy day, in the Christian sense that is Sunday, the day of resurrection. I think he would show up in a local church, and whether or not they would recognize him in the flesh or not, he would probably find a way to communicate something that would challenge them to not just believe in Jesus, But to actually believe Jesus, that's a world of difference. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you believe in Jesus the way you believe in George Washington. George was our first president following the Constitution, its ratification in 1789. And you believe in George, you believe he was a great leader, but you are not believing George to do anything for you. And when you believe in Jesus, you can't mentally assent to a historical fact. But you believe Jesus. You believe that when he says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's literally Jesus inviting The rabbi called to say, come and take up my yoke of learning. Do with me. Go with me to the market. Go with me to the hospital. Go with me and minister to the people that are broken. I'm telling you this morning, after Jesus would leave church, he would head for the track. He would be at the dog track today, and that offends a lot of Pharisaical religious people. Because Jesus would be hanging out with some folks that were broken, but these people know they're broken. They know they're messed up. They're not in church playing games. And he would hang out with them and not slap them upside the head with some kind of religious ideology, but just love on them to the point that they would be so attracted and drawn that they would willingly lay down the stuff that's keeping them from a relationship with him. I believe Jesus would leave the track and then he would probably head down to about Broadway and 10th where somebody got killed yesterday in this town. I had a policeman come up to me in the close of the last service, the 9 o'clock service, and he said, Pastor, please pray for me. You have no idea what this church has provided and done for my life because you just cannot even imagine the stuff that I see every day. In this town. And I believe that Jesus would probably go to places that we don't want anything to do with. It's not comfortable for us because they don't drive the cars we drive and they don't vote the way we do and they have problems and they have mess. And Jesus would be hanging out in broken situations and leading them into a place of liberty. I'm not putting a trip on you this morning about us not being down in this part or that part or the other, but I do at least want to get your attention to say if God graces us with people that are different from us to actually walk through the door, then the very least we can do is let the love of God work in us so that we can embrace them with some open arms. Fans won't do that, but followers are willing to listen to the brokenness, and to the sin, and to let Jesus be the one who makes the demands, and to love, and to share, and let the gospel do the work. This morning, I would ask you this question. Jesus was not kidding, and he's convinced people now that just by the demonstration of who he's chosen, that Anyone is welcome. And anyone does mean everyone. And no qualifications means no excuses. But he also tells them it's going to cost you everything. You lay down what you thought you were going to do before. And you dedicate a life to following me. Going where I go. Doing what I do. Saying what you hear me say. Observing how I live and love and work and move in the hearts and the lives of people. And you deal with your preferences and you expose your unwritten codes and everything that just sort of gets piled up in southern churchianity. The way we think that Christians are supposed to look and live and vote and dress and stuff that they're supposed to do and not to do. And and we're just going to have to just let all that stuff be dealt with and push it off and go, God, I want to recapture literally what the gospel and the gospel alone says so that we can be a church filled with followers who love Jesus and who love the people that Jesus loves, the people that Jesus died for. So this morning, as I close this message, I just want you to know that he's not kidding about me, meaning anyone is welcome. And he means that anyone is everyone. And he says, you know what? No more qualifications, no more excuses. He says, if it's anything, it's going to cost you everything. With every head bowed, every eye closed, In the room this morning, I would just ask you this very brief question. Have you crossed that line of faith personally where you've put your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? The Scripture says in 1 John chapter 5, He that has the Son hath life. He that has not the Son shall not see life. It's just that simple. Whatever your excuse has been, you're too busy. I believe that the Holy Spirit has removed all of those barriers and all of those excuses this morning. I can't persuade you or intellectually proposition you to believe anything I've said. I believe that the Spirit of God has been moving in this room and has been drawing hearts. He's doing what I can't do with words. He's doing with the power of His Spirit. With every head bowed, every eye closed right now, I just want to ask you very briefly, are you ready to take that step? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Do you know that it's going to cost you to go where he goes and do what he does? I just want to ask you right now, if if you'd like to be included in this prayer, not going to embarrass you or call anybody at the front. Nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you would just slip up your hand just for a second and just let me see your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Yes, I see. Thank you, sister. I saw that hand. There's one back here in the back. Yes, anybody else over here? Okay. Now, I want to speak to the others in the room as well. You know Jesus. You've been walking with him for a while, but you know there's something different about the word today, last week. The whole question just almost rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, you know, Jesus, but maybe, 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 maybe I've, maybe I've been a fan. Maybe I'm more a fan than I realize. Maybe I've not been as much of a committed follower as I thought. And you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit penetrating a hard part of your heart That's what the gospel does. You know, it's amazing how in the same crowd, the gospel goes forth and it will melt one man's heart and it'll harden another. I don't control that because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You keep resisting Him and it gets harder and it gets harder and it gets harder. So this morning, I just want to say to some believers in this room, you've felt some conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? I need God to do a fresh start in me. I need Him to hit the the renewal button. I need him to fill me with his Holy Spirit because I've gotten bogged down in all the religious activities. I need him to refresh me. The Bible says that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 3.19. His presence is here today. That's you today. Not going to be long. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. You're a believer and you know this morning that you need to take a step to say, Jesus, I want to be a fully committed, devoted follower of yours and not just a fan. Anybody in the room? Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes. I see there's a a few. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll give you just a moment. You can put your hands down. Father, for those this morning first there who who said, I want to cross the line of faith, I thank you right now that the gospel is the good news that Jesus is, who was pure and holy and righteous and godly, laid down his life and died for all of us that were sinful and ungodly and unrighteous and unholy. The godly suffering for the ungodly. You took our place. You became our substitute. You were the Lamb of God who took away our sins. And the way this morning that we can receive that is we just very simply say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. Save me. Three words, make this yours. Jesus, save me. Pray that in your heart right now. If you were one of those who raised your hand. We just ask you, Jesus, to help us as we turn from our past and lay it down and we repent and we come to you. Lord, there are powerful things chemical forces, and even demonic forces that have latched onto us in addictive patterns of behavior. And Jesus, I lay it at the foot of your cross. I ask you to help me with this thing, Lord, with which I struggle. Lord, I pray that for these men and women who raise their hands first. Jesus, empower them, strengthen them, deliver them, set them free, we pray. Lord, that they can hear the gospel and receive it and walk free and no longer be captives. In Jesus' name. And for the brothers and sisters who raised their hand on the second question, you just sense the Lord saying to you, you know, I'm calling you to be a committed follower more than you have been. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to just move in their hearts right now. And Lord, as they reach up to you in faith and just say, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would, Lord, you would bring a fresh start, that there would be a renewal or just a, a sense of, of a kind of a reboot in their spirit, that everything becomes fresh and new. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said. Put your hands together this morning and give the Lord praise. Come on, somebody.